0: them, you know, thank them for playing drums for us and such. Uh, So yeah, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, here we go, let's dive right in. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says to us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe Christ. All the things I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's how the, that's how the book of Matthew, that's how the gospel of Matthew ends with the call to every believer to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, one who is learning to be and to do just like the master and the call for every disciple, every Person who's following, who believes in Jesus, to go and make disciples. What is he saying? Freely you have received, freely give, right? He's saying that if you are my disciple, you will go and make disciples. You cannot be a disciple of Christ without not just wanting to become like Jesus, but to actually want to partner with him and to do what Jesus does. To say, I am a follower of Jesus means. I am on mission with him. A search and rescue mission. Amen? Anyone else believe that? But me? Yeah? It's not just I've received forgiveness for my sin. Father God loves me. I've come home. It doesn't just mean my sins are forgiven. It doesn't just mean I'm a follower of Jesus, which means I try to be a nice person. It means I'm becoming just like Jesus in every way. Not just holiness, not just love, but in the power of the Spirit and in the preaching of the gospel as well. You cannot separate these things like some have done. And so what we're learning is that Jesus is calling us to make disciples. This is our assignment, our calling, our mission. This is the family business, amen? This is who we are called to be and this is what we are called to do. And this morning, what the Lord wants to continue to do is give us His heart for His people. Notice He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And last week, I I, I asked the question, uh, who? Who are we supposed to reach? And the Lord showed us that though the vision is all the nations, meaning all the people groups out there in the whole world, seven billion people, and uh, really probably millions of people groups, tribal family groups, Though the the vision is huge, the scope is huge, the mission, the assignment on each one of us is to reach the person who's right there in front of us. Because remember we talked about this last week, that the great commission and the great commandment intersect at the one person right in front of you. What's the great commandment? Go and love your neighbor. So who are all the nations for you? Who are all the nations for me? My neighbor. Right? Remember that man asked, well, who's my neighbor? who's my neighbor? Because he wanted to get out of like, who's not my neighbor? And Jesus turned the question around. He said, it's not the question of who your neighbor is, it's go be a neighbor. That your neighbor is any person that you run into. According to Jesus' definition, it's any person that is in your life, any stranger or friend or co-worker or family member or person at the grocery store or person at the restaurant, it's the one right person there in front of you, and the Lord is calling us to have eyes to see. The Lord is calling us to stop for that one, to bless that one, to reach out to that one, to befriend that one. Amen? That's what the Lord is calling us to. And what the Lord wants to do this morning is the Lord wants to impart His heart to us. Who among the nations, think of it this way, who among the nations does Jesus focus on? When He came to earth, what was his, who was His ministry focused on? He reached everyone. He loves everyone. And He wants to reach all nations. The Bible makes it very clear. God wills that none should perish. So that means He wants everyone to be saved. That's who He died for. That's who He provided salvation for. It was every single person. doesn't mean every person is going to receive it. And when we're talking about making disciples, for those of you who might not be Christ followers yet, or those of you who are new with us, we're not talking about controlling, manipulating, you know, selling something to people, making them like us culturally or anything like that. Really, we simply believe that we are all children of God, created by God because he loves us and wants relation with us. That because of our rebellion and lies that we have believed, we become separated from God and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins to make us right with God. We simply believe that we as Christ followers have been adopted by the Father and we've come home. And so we believe making disciples is really about building friendships with people and inviting them into a friendship with God, inviting them back home. really what it's about. It's a search and rescue mission. This is about love. This is about building friendships, eternal, redemptive friendships, real, genuine friendships. But who is it? Who's the one right there in front of us? Who is the one that Jesus stopped for? Who is the one that his ministry is focused on? And who is the one that Jesus commanded us to focus on? You say, well, David, he told us to reach everyone. He told us to reach all the nations. Yeah, but when you read the Gospel of Matthew, and really the whole Bible, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, and the Lord began to highlight something to me, that he has called us to focus on certain people, to prioritize them. Yes, to prioritize them. Who is that? I'll tell you right now. Go with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. What the Lord wants to do today is He wants to impart His heart to us. He wants to give us His eyes to see the people He cares about. He wants His heart of compassion, His heart of love, His heart of boldness, His heart of sacrifice. And so we're just going to go into the Scriptures and see what did Jesus say? Who did Jesus talk about? And I believe that as we look at the scriptures, the Lord is going to impart something to your heart. Do you you want that today? You want that? So let's open up our hearts right now to the Lord. Let's open up our hearts. In fact, uh, can we throw up that declaration? Sam, I forgot to ask you about that. Sam, can we do that? Just go ahead and close your eyes for a second. Let's pray. Father, we open our hearts to you. We ask that you would impart your heart to us. Just, you know, even in your own words, but ask the Lord something like, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your love. Give me your heart of compassion. Show me. Give me eyes to see. Give me your heart, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You got that declaration for us? The, this is my Bible? Yeah. No? Don't worry about it. That's okay. We'll keep going. The praying was good. Did you guys open your heart to the Lord? That was good. It's all right. He, I, that was my fault. That's not their fault. Okay. So, in Matthew 25, all right, you guys want to do it? All right, this isn't religious for us, for those of you who don't know. This is like we really want to open our hearts, okay? Oh, Take your Bibles. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am, I can do what it says I can do, and I can have what it says I can have, so I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that'll change my life forever. Amen. Yeah. So here it is. Let me tell you exactly what I'm going to say. Matthew 25, we're going to go to a few scriptures. Real simple. The Lord wants to give us His heart. The Lord wants to show us who He's calling us to focus on. And this is what the Lord showed me. The Lord has called us to disciple the least, the little, and the lost. That's who the Lord wants to give us a heart for today. And every day. He wants to give us His heart for the least, the little, and the lost. That's who He's going to give us His heart for. And so in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, it's a scripture that can often throw us off. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus says, all and all the holy angels are with him, then he will sit on his throne, the throne of his glory. Verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? I'll feed you. When did we see you thirsty, give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, come to visit you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely, surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Can you imagine receiving that affirmation from the Lord? Do you realize God will honor us on that day? Can you imagine standing before Jesus, the King? This is really going to happen. You'll stand before his throne and he will say to you, blessed. He will call you blessed. And he will say, I have always wanted to share my kingdom with you. Now come on in. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Same, Two different uh, parables, same concept. He said, I gave you something. I gave you something to do on this earth, and you have done it. You have been faithful to me to the very end. And you'll say, but Lord, what did I do? He'll say, you fed me. What? You clothed me. Can can you imagine hearing that parable for the first time? I mean this story for the first time and you not have heard growing up with this? Can you imagine standing before Jesus and he says, you fed me, Rick. Matt, you visited me in prison. And you're going, what? And you literally say to Jesus with all the sincerity in your heart, Jesus, I didn't do that. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I, I I never saw you in prison. I I I didn't see you hungry on the street. I did. I I never I never put my arms around you and hugged you when you were crying. I I didn't do that. Jesus, when have you been hungry? When have you been in prison? Jesus, what did you do? Just joking. When when were you crying? And he'll say. He'll say, "Oh, you blessed one." Oh, you of childlike faith. When you did it for that least, you did it for me. And you'll realize for the first time, actually, I think it's interesting that Jesus told us the parable ahead of time. He's basically telling us how to get the answer on the test. Do you like that? But do you realize, for many of us, we'll stand before the Lord and we will say, I did what? And you will realize, (laughs) he counted everything I ever did for somebody else unto him. That's how he sees it. That if you did it for somebody else, you did it for him. And you'll realize, oh my goodness, I'm not saying that that person sitting on the street who's hungry is actually Jesus. But it might as well be. Do 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 you see what he calls them though? Do you see what he calls them? The least. If you have done unto the least of these. Why are they the least? The least. The least. Why are they the least? Think about that list for a second. Can, you just, can we just meditate on this? Let's not skip through this real quick. Think about it. I don't need to do a Greek and Hebrew word study. That's not going to help us live this out more. Just think about it for a second. The hungry. The ones without food. The thirsty. The thirsty. naked a stranger the one sick or in prison these are the least who are they right in the eye they're the marginalized they're the fringe they have no influence they have no power they have no money they have no clout they have nothing in the natural world for anybody to honor them or to value them. They give nothing back. They're the ones who take from society. They don't give to society. They're the outcast. They're the forgotten. They're the ones people don't see. They're not the contributors. Jesus calls them the least, but what does he do when he calls them the least? Does he not put the greatest value on them? Yes? He says that what the world does not value and what the world calls the least, I call the most important. Now he's acknowledging that positionally they are the least, that they do not have the greatness, the power, the clout, the influence. They don't. They don't. They're the needy. They're the empty. They're the hurting. They're the broken. Right? They're the ones who don't have a jacket or a blanket They're the one fifth of the children in our country who don't have enough food to eat. They're the they're the sick in prison, whether from their own choice or maybe someone else's choice. They're either way, they're in prison. And they're the ones that Jesus says have value that if you do unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls us to reach and to disciple, to befriend the ones who have no influence, who have nothing to give you back, and, at the, at, and in the position that they're in, at least when you find them, they have nothing to give back to society. And he says, those are the ones that I want you to see. See that? Now look with me in Matthew 18. Just back up. Oh, wait, actually, hold on a sec. Let's look at this from the other side of the story, just real quick. He says, of course, in verse 41, to the goats on his left, he says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And listen, and did not minister to you. And he will answer them and saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. You realize that this group of people, they saw the hungry, they saw the thirsty, they saw the stranger, the immigrant, who had no opportunity or rights. They saw them. But listen to the way they asked the question, Jesus, when did we, when did we ever see you hungry? When, when, when did we ever see you naked? Right again, you know, Jesus. What are you doing in prison? Why are you in prison? We we never saw you in prison. When did we not see you and minister to you? Listen, listen to the way I think that the question should sound, from from our Western mindset. Jesus, if we knew it was you, we we would we would we would have we would have we. I heard one time of a pastor who sat outside his church building, dressed up as a homeless person, you know, dirty and and, and, and uh not that all homeless people are, are dirty, I mean they dressed up to make himself uh look uh, inconspicuous, beard and, and dirty and and all that, and sat outside his church building to see what his church would do. And the way the story goes is that nobody stopped for him. Now I know that would never happen here, and I don't just say that to flatter you. I know my church. Uh Anyways, he, he did that to test them, and, and my, the way the story goes, at least the way the myth goes, is that it, nobody ever stopped, and of course he stood up in front of the church, dressed like that, and he began to, of course, correct his church, hopefully with love. But what would that church say? Think about that. If, you, if that did happen to you, wouldn't you say, oh, but pastor, if I knew it was you, yeah, see? See, we... We in our culture, again, whether because there are 7 billion people in this world or tens of thousands of people in our area or because of just the way media desensitizes ourselves and driving on freeways desensitizes ourselves, we forget everyone we run into is a, create, a person created by God who has inherent value in who they are. And actually, the ones who are dirty, who are hungry, who are immigrants, who are in prison, who are done the wrong thing or have messed up their life. They're the ones that he values. And oftentimes we can so depersonalize it that we can say, oh, but if if I knew it was you, I would have... Jesus is saying that the ones who had the childlike faith understood that 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 person who was hungry or thirsty, they saw a child of God and ministered to them because they knew it was unto God. But these others saw the child of God and said, well, I don't know them. They're not my responsibility, right? But, 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 but didn't they get themselves into that mess, we say in our conventional wisdom in America, right? Because that's what our culture values. And we say these things, and yet we miss Jesus. And do you, see, do you hear what, he, what they said? But well, when did we not minister to you? And he said, when you didn't minister to them, you didn't minister to me. You missed me. And therefore, you missed what I wanted you to do. And really, as the scriptures say, the fruit of our life simply just exposed what's in our heart. This is not a passage about works and earning our salvation, if you were wondering about that. This is about if we are truly righteous in Christ, by His grace, we will produce the fruits of righteousness. We'll love like He loves. So it's an invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation, not a condemnation. But it does tell us what Jesus values and who He values. That we're supposed to see them. If I'm driving down the street through an intersection, and I see an accident, if I see an accident there, I might just keep driving, right? Right? What happens if I see a red Toyota Sienna and then I see somebody who looks like my wife and three kids? Am I going to keep going? All of a sudden, what went from just an accident becomes something very personal. I think that's my family. And I'm going to pull over and I'm going to find out. You'd probably do that for anyone in this church that you knew. Oh, wait, I think I know that person. See, I'm responsible for my family, right? But the Lord says that if your mind And you're responsible for the ones that I'm responsible for, right? You're a part of the family business. So if they're his, they're ours. If they have value to him, they have value to us. And so that the least, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the foreigner, the one you don't know, the one who's hurting and broken, the one who's made bad choices, the one who's sick or in prison, something bad has happened sickness, they're the ones who are the least. They're the ones who have value. All right, Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Look at how Jesus talks about the little. He's calling us to have his heart for the least, the little, and the lost. Verse, 18, uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who has the most authority? Who gets the most reward? Who's the most blessed in the kingdom? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, which means changed, really, the call to repentance, turning around. Unless you turn around and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Little children in that culture were literally the lowest on the totem pole. They had zero rights, zero privileges, zero power. They were completely and utterly dependent to their, children, to their parents. No rights for their parents. I mean, except for their parents. The parents had complete and total jurisdiction over their lives. If a safe parent, that's okay. Don't have a safe parent, that's not good, right? Jesus, in inviting us to be like little children, first is inviting us to humble ourselves and to abdicate all of our rights and our self reliance and self dependence on everything else in this world to say, I need Jesus and His forgiveness. And I'm completely, utterly dependent upon His leadership, His provision. Amen? That's what it means. And Jesus says you can't even be saved unless you become like that. That is what faith is. It's to be completely and utterly dependent upon Him. That's where this whole thing begins. He says, if you've done that, you're already the greatest. So if you have accepted Jesus as Lord against against all the wisdom of this world, what we believe is absolute foolishness in the light of this culture. We believe that we are forgiven of every sin and will reign with Christ because of the death, because of the, because of the execution of God who became a man. It's foolishness in the eyes of this world that you and I would say, no, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. All my hope is in Christ. He's my God. He's my Lord. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do it His way. The world says, that's foolishness. No, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to obey His commands. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. And we say, yep. I'm a little child. Jesus says, unless you humble yourself like that and become utterly dependent upon Him, utterly surrendered to His leadership and, if you will, parental guidance in your life, you can't even enter the kingdom. He says, if you have done that, you're the greatest in the kingdom, which is a statement of grace, of course. You get that? Statement that you simply receive the forgiveness, receive His adoption, and you're already valued at the highest place in the kingdom. And then, though, so first he makes a salvation statement, right? First he tells you how to become great in the kingdom. Then he says, now that you're in the kingdom, he says, again, this is who I value. You see that? He's talking talking to disciples saying, and whoever receives one of these little children like this in my name receives me. You see it? He said the same thing as in Matthew 25. You catch it? Because these little ones are among the least. He says, if you receive this little child, if you love them, if you serve them, embrace them, care for them, protect them, disciple them, train them up in my ways, you are doing it unto me. That's exactly what he's saying. Receive them. You receive me. Listen, he goes on in verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world, because offenses! But for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. I don't know if I've ever heard Jesus say anything more serious. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life, lame or maim, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always... See the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go into the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He's called us to care, to bless, to serve, to disciple the least, the little, the lost. Do you notice his emphasis on the little ones? Kids, queeners, junior hires, high schoolers, little ones. I know you, might, you wouldn't say, oh, high schoolers, they're not little ones. But, but in Jesus' vocabulary, they're, 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 still, they're still kids. I mean, even, even in, in, in our adult age, we say 18 is, you know, the age of... Uh, Uh, responsibility. They're the ones who have no rights or privileges or power and Jesus is saying they need me. Little ones are those who are a blank slate, right? Little ones are the ones who come into this world with no one to fight for them or protect them. Do you know that in our culture a third of girls are abused sexually before they're 18? That's just the girls. And that's just what statistics say. Do we live in a safe culture? Are children protected? No. In our culture, at least we have some child labor laws and, and you can't buy a child bride, for example. You can't buy an eight-year-old as your bride. But in India, you know, you can. Or, or, or Sri Lanka, I mean. I don't know if India is still. We have child labor laws, but in other countries they don't. In other countries, like Thailand, you can... Daughter price of a television. Are children protected? No. What is Jesus saying? Don't despise them. Protect them. Love them. Disciple them. Who are the little ones? The little ones are right here in our church. Are they not? The little ones are right there in your home. Or to protect them. To protect them from the corruption of this world. To keep them innocent. Did you see how adamant Jesus was about somebody who would lead a little one to sin? That would mean to sin against them like abuse or to influence them not to believe in Christ or to influence them to fall into sin and rebellion. Do you see how adamant Jesus is that if anyone does that, the weight that would be upon that person? Now, I'm not saying that that person can't repent of sin. Praise the Lord that whatever that sin would be, the offender can repent. So I don't, if that, you know, because I know there, there might be somebody listening who maybe you've been there before, and the Lord would simply invite you to repent as well. But do you see how serious he is about this kind of thing? Yeah? We are to be a people who reach the least and who reach the little. How many kids in our culture will never darken the doors of a church unless... You know, the percentage is extremely high nowadays, you know that? Because one generation stops going to church and hearing the gospel, then the next generation, right? How many kids in our culture may never hear the gospel unless something changes? They're the little ones. And he wills that none should perish. Jesus is always thinking about the underprivileged, the powerless, and the ones who may not have an opportunity to hear the gospel because we don't see them you see that we might not live in a society where kids are living on the street, but did you see that slide earlier that 50,000 kids are in foster care in Los Angeles. Is the foster care system safe? Does it work? No. I don't even have to be a conspiracy theorist. It doesn't work. Statistically, they've proven that kids, most of the kids who go through the foster care system end up in jail. Just from a governmental standpoint, it doesn't work. Many. Many kids are, there are some kids who are safe who get nice homes in the foster care system they are what we call the orphans right but they are often not safe but do you see them do we see them where are they so often we don't see the least we don't see the little we don't see them do we but they're not safe sometimes they're not safe in their own homes sometimes they're not safe in the foster system somebody's leading them to sin How many kids in our culture are fatherless? They say three-fourths of the homes in our culture are fatherless. Now what that means, there might be a stepfather there, which is good, but so often their biological father, gone. Did you you catch how many I just said? I'm not exaggerating. Three-fourths, that's a lot. That's a lot. And Jesus says that we're supposed to disciple, to love value the little ones and finally the lost who are the lost when he says for the son of man has come in verse 11 to save that which was lost and he tells the story of a parable of a sheep that has lost its way and he says that that shepherd though he cares for all the hundred sheep would leave the 99 to go after the one lost sheep again placing the highest value on that which is least that which is little and that which is lost that that one person who rebels that one person who sins against the lord that one person who leaves a community is of greater value than all the rest of the people because of their greatest need the lost listen to who the lost are in um, in Luke chapter 15 Verse 1, it tells us who Jesus considers the lost. He says in verse 1, "...then all the tax collectors uh, and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them." So he spoke this parable to them. When Jesus talks about the lost, he's specifically referring to those who are spiritually lost, those who have lost their way and have become disconnected from their relationship with God." who are believing lies about God and who have distanced themselves from the community of believers, who have rebelled against God, who are not walking in His ways, and are therefore disconnected from God and from that community. That's who the lost are. I mean, how many people even in our society would call themselves Christian and yet are not walking in the ways of the Lord? I don't mean that to be judgmental. Jesus was never judgmental, yeah? But he called it like it is. He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And when they asked him, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? He didn't say, don't judge them. He said, don't the sick need a doctor? He called them the sick. He called them the lost. He's the one who came up with the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. He's the one who says that the prodigal son had left the father's house and wasted all of his life, and fell into slavery, and bondage, and brokenness, and was eating pig slop. Jesus said those parables to do what? To communicate to us, not that sin is okay, but that sin is a bondage, a brokenness, and something for us to move us to compassion. When we see somebody in sin, it is to move us the way it moved Jesus, with compassion. Why? Because God loves the least, he loves the lost, and he loves the little, and he doesn't want anyone to be in that state of brokenness. That's what compassion does. Compassion desires life and blessing and abundance and freedom and wholeness for everyone, and when we see somebody in a state less than the fullness of God, we are to be moved by compassion and say, that must not be, and do something about it, amen? That's how Jesus was. He saw a woman whose son had died. He was moved with compassion, went up to this widow who had already lost her husband, and who had now lost her only son, and said, don't grieve, and touched her son and said, be raised. And the son came to life. And he gave the son back to the mother. Why? Because compassion is moved with a desire to bring life. And so Jesus is trying to get us to see that when he's eating with the sinner, when he's eating with the tax collector, the prostitute, the one who is living an immoral lifestyle, a drunken lifestyle, a, a sexually immoral lifestyle, a lifestyle that does not align with the, the truths of Scripture, the wise, healthy ways God's ways of walking in the Scriptures, that we're to be moved with compassion and move into their world. Did Jesus pull away or did he move forward? What did he do? He became a friend of sinners. It's actually one of his names, right? Just like we would call him the Lamb of God that was slain, the Bright and Morning Star, the King of Kings, he is friend of sinner. Who is that sinner? Who is, in Jesus' mind, who is the sinner? Not the, there's a sinner, right? No, it's the lost. That's my lost sheep, who's believing lies about me, who thinks that father is evil or not good. See, a lot of times the sinners in that culture, you had the Pharisees on one hand and you have these tax collectors and these, and these people who are living sinful lifestyles. They were rejected from that community. The Pharisees believed God had rejected them and they needed to reject them. And so they're living us a lifestyle in rebellion against the church. You can imagine the psychology behind that, right? They don't accept me for who I am. Forget them, right? And so what happens is instead of sinners, people who are broken and hurting and who are living lifestyles that are not what God wants, instead of feeling pursued, loved, embraced, chased after, they feel judged and rejected, and therefore what do you do? You harden your heart even more. And here comes Jesus into their world, walking in complete holiness, walking in complete purity, never justifying sin, actually saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and yet walks right into their life and becomes their friend. See, making disciples is all about becoming friends with people, right? It's not about manipulating and controlling people. It's not about trying to sell something to people. It's not about, I'm going to just become your friend so you can come to my church. It's not about, I'm going to fake it that I like you so that I can lead you to Jesus even though I really don't care about you. No, no, that's not what it's about. It's about genuinely caring for somebody, being moved with compassion in such a way that I want to become your friend. I want to, I want to build such a friendship with you that you become a friend of God and that makes us friends forever. BFF, yeah, literally. But listen to who we're to be friends with. The least the little, and the lost. Which means the invitation to make disciples is the invitation to make eternal redemptive friendships with who? Those who are not like us. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, didn't he say this? Didn't he say, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. He says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's not talking about pacifism. He's talking about the way of the Spirit, the higher way of love instead of retaliation, the higher way of love that says to the one who is not like me, to the one who is hungry and thirsty, who is poor, to the person who is little, to the person who is lost, who does not culturally fit my culture, who speaks a different language, who eats a different food, who talks a different talk, who cusses and makes me feel uncomfortable, who jokes about impure things, and I just don't relate. Jesus says, be their friend. Be their friend. Hang out with them. But 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 pastor... Or should we rather say, but Jesus, I have nothing in common with them. But Jesus, I don't know what to say. But Jesus, I feel really uncomfortable. But Jesus, I just don't want to. I'd rather hang out with my friends. But Jesus, they talk about me behind my back at work. But Jesus, they don't say hi to me. But Jesus... Didn't they get themselves in that mess? But Jesus, isn't that lifestyle sin? But Jesus, I don't know how to relate to that five-year-old who's crazy and out of control because he has no dad. You wouldn't normally say that, but yeah. Who makes you uncomfortable? Who annoys you? Who makes you afraid? Who do you just not want to be around? Who do you kind of ignore because you feel guilty? Sometimes we don't do the loving thing just because we actually feel guilty. Like you have money and they don't. That's not your fault. Jesus didn't say feel guilty that you have something and they don't. No, praise God. Freely receive, freely give. The Lord has blessed you, healed you, delivered you. You're blessed because the Lord has blessed you. Now for what you have freely received, freely give. Sacrifice. Lay your life down for them. Give your time, your money. Pour out your life upon them. Just like you have been loved, go love them. Just like you have been forgiven, go forgive them. Just like somebody pursued you, told you about the gospel, do the same for them, do you see? Because really we're all the least, the little, the lost, right? Or we were. And some of you weren't protected. We need to become the protectors, yeah? Sometimes, I know, people come as adults and they say, nobody protected me. And yet the Lord has forgiven you and the Lord has healed you of abuse. Praise God. And you say, well, why did did God let it happen? He didn't let it happen. It's not God's will that kids would be abused. You could hear Jesus' statement. Man, if somebody's wronged a child, let them be like a man with a millstone around their neck thrown into the ocean. It's not God's will that anyone should, any little one would be lost. The Lord loves you and he's redeemed you, but what is he inviting the church to be? The church is to be the salt and the light, amen? That's the invitation. We're to disciple all nations. We're to disciple the one right there in front of us. But I challenge you, building friendships is not building friendships with people that are like you only. That's good too. It's not building friendships with those people where it's comfortable or easy. Listen, the call to be a disciple of Christ is in its inherent call, the call to live out of your comfort zone, to be a sacrifice for the world. To die to self and to lay your life down for the sake of others. That is the call. When Jesus says, Follow me, you've got to take it all the way. And it really is as simple as being as seeing, see, see the little ones, see the lost, see the poor, see the person at work who's silently suffering. See the single mom or the single parent. See them. Reach out to them. Give them yourself. Amen? Kurt, come on up and lead us in response.